Hello and welcome to another exciting and, you guessed it, jam-packed episode of Modern Day Philosophers. I'm your host, I'm Daniel Lobel, and today I'm talking to a good friend of mine, Luz Pazos, who is Peru's only female comedian working here in the United States. And if that don't distinguish her enough, nothing will for you, ungrateful, miserable bastard. All right, listen, I'm so excited to have you guys here with me on the show today. A few quick things. I have a new comic book out. It's fair enough. Issue two. It's called The Cart Before the Horse, and it's great. The art is by Josh Meatbag Mead, who's out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I'm just, I'm very proud of how the comic book came out. And an issue can be yours for only seven bucks plus shipping if you go to fairenoughcomic.com and I will sign it to you and you'll have one of the original copies and I think you'll love it. So please do that. Also, you can always make a donation at moderndayphilosophers.net to support the show. It's listener-supported radio, sort of. And please do that. It would be much appreciated. Okay. Well, I don't see any need to keep you waiting anymore. So without further ado, except of course for the intro song, here's my talk with the wonderful Luz Pazos. Enjoy. Welcome to Modern Day Philosophers. Modern Day Philosophers. Having failed to pay attention in school, Danny Lobel, now older and wiser, will attempt to learn basic philosophy 101. Our young hero will be joined by today's top comedians, philosophers all their own. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Danny Lobel. Modern Day Philosophers. It's Luz, right? Yes. Luz. It's like a loser, Luz. Lo- right, your shirt. You have t-shirts. That I have t-shirts as a loser, yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was saying to my wife, I think it's Luz. She's like, no, it's not Luz, it's Luz. It's yes. She said it means light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought it meant Liz. Yeah, people say last, last or less, but very few people know how to pronounce it. Luz. Luz, yes. It's yeah. just I say, say loser, but just take off ER, so Luz. Right. Yeah, I said, I think it means, I think it's a Spanish way of saying Liz. And my wife said, no, it's, it means light. And I said, what does Liz mean? She said, it means Elizabeth. I'm like, what does yes. Elizabeth mean? She goes, nothing, just white nonsense. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> no, actually, there is a name. I think, I think Elizabeth is Elizabeth, uh, Isabel. Oh, so. Isabel in Spanish. So Liz is Elizabeth. Elizabeth is Isabel. And what does Isabel mean? Uh, it's, a, it's just a name. What if it, it means light? Like it all comes no, 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 no. Everything is light. Maybe, right? I don't know that, the meaning of that name. It's like too many times removed to really know what's going on. Yeah, I know. I know. I don't know. I don't know. The origin of the word sometimes comes from Latin. But Isabel, I think, I think it's a Spanish name, actually. Isabel. Yeah. It all comes back to Spain, right? It's everything comes back to Spain. Exactly. I saw that you were in Spain not long ago. I should introduce you properly. Uh, we met in Asheville, North Carolina, a few years ago at the Asheville Comedy Festival. Yes, it was very fun. And we've gotten to work together since, and you were in a project of mine. You were great, which never went anywhere, but it wasn't my fault. It but was, Yeah, it was a lot of fun, that project. But, you know, it was it was shot really fast. That's what I think. So we didn't have time to plan. It came out really good. But I'll tell people what it is. We, sh- we shot these funny medical videos for a company that I won't mention because I don't know if they want me to mention them in this context. But um, 
Yeah, they wanted to do like funny videos explaining medical disorders. So me and my friend Jason Webb and Liam McNini wrote these videos and Liz was in them with a, a I, bunch of other funny Surprisingly, comics. I performed the doctor and I had to say all these medical terms with my accent. <laughs> it was really funny. And it, you were like, great. What do I have to say all this? The videos came out really funny and the company loved them. And then they showed them to the doctors. And the doctors were like, we're not going to be associated with your company if you put these videos out because they wanted to be taken so seriously. Got and it. then the they company were, were in like this bind because they like the videos. I thought the videos came out great. And the doctors were like, if you want us to work with your company, oh. we, we can't, you can't be putting this out because it'll make us look bad by association. Well, yeah, they want something more serious than yeah. what they incorporate. I don't know. Damn doctors, they don't have a sense of they humor. They don't have sense of humor. It's weird because there are a lot of Jewish people that are doctors. And Jewish I, people are usually funny. I know, I know. Thank you. I'll take that as a compliment. Yes. Like, <laughs> I don't know. But, well, whatever. Uh, at least we had so much fun, you know. I have fun shutting them. Yeah. I get to meet Matty. I have never worked with him before. It was, it was fun. Oh, Matty's the best. Matty Goldberg, who was also on this show. Go check out his episode, listeners. Yes, Ma- Matty Goldberg. He's Jewish too, right? Yes. So you are not Jewish, I take I'm it. I'm not Jewish. I don't have religion. I, I grew up Catholic, but then I decided I didn't want to be Catholic when I left my country. Which was Peru. Peru. I left Peru when I was 17. I went to live in Europe. Mm-hmm. So then I did. I, I found out that, I mean, I could be anything I wanted. I never believed really in religion or anything that they said at Catholic school. Because I, I grew up in a school, it was a known school, you know. And yeah, we nuns. had to, yeah. nuns, and we had to pray every day, and we had religion class, and I never understood it. I never made a sense of it. And every time I wanted to discuss it, they wouldn't let me, and they would call my mom and say, oh, she's not... She's behaving badly. She uh, doesn't want to be part of the class. I'm like, you know, I. Uh, they taught us, like, we had a religion class. We had to learn what kind of color the priest wears, depending on the month. Uh-huh. And I just didn't understand why do I have to learn that and what does it have to be with me. And the fact that they taught us, like, abortion was bad, having sex was bad, everything was bad. So It was I, just very negative. Very negative. My mom also didn't like she was always controlling over me you know i i never even thought about having sex really? ever until i left like i didn't even know how that worked because i was so repressed uh-huh. what about did was your did you have a dad in the picture no my dad left me when i was uh, a kid he, he left, left you specifically he well was, he left everything yeah, my yeah, mom and then broke up <laughs> he left me he's like i like the rest of the family Liz, but i'm not <laughs> he left well, he left my mom and he left me, but it was good because he was a very racist person, you know? Really? Everybody knew him. Yeah, especially my mother knew he was very racist. So maybe it would be another type of person if I I grew up with him. Yeah. You know, he was really white looking. He was blonde and he had green eyes and he thought everybody was less than him. Like so he was, he was Peruvian, yeah. but he was... He Peruvian. was- Peruvians, like, there are like, white Peruvians too. It's you, like you light-skinned blacks and yeah. dark-skinned blacks. Like in it's the black a, community, like, there's yeah. like racism within the black community. Peruvians are racist too. They, the, the, the ones that are really white are racist against the ones that are Peruvian-looking, you know, like Indian and the ones that are a little darker. 
Wow. So he was a within Peru racist. Yes. It's incredible. Like he was a racist <laughs> Peruvian. It's, it's crazy. Those people exist. So did he come from like a high class family or? Not even. I mean, his family was really trashy. I don't even know why he was so racist. They weren't even like educated. Or, like you if know? he had a good family, you'd excuse it. But. I, well, I, at least it would be like, okay, they're like, I wouldn't excuse it, but I'm like. Right, if right. you're so trashy, why would you have to trash other people? Like, you know, like they are not even educated. They weren't even educated. Why do you have to hate on people that went to, you know, they were, they will be racist against people that went to college or things like, hey, get some education before you talk shit about other people. Right. That's how I think, you know. Like, So, so what about your mom? What, what kind of family did she grow up in? My mom and my grandmother came from the Andes. Mm-hmm. And she was like a maid. And then she met my grandfather and and they got together. But my grandfather was like the typical Latino womanizer. He always cheated on her and it was like, she had a really bad life. Your grandmother did? Yes. Okay. So that's why your mom was probably attracted to a guy who wasn't so great either. Yes, I think so. That's why I left. I I think I left because I didn't want to be associated with any of that life. You know, I didn't want to have that life. And I wanted to do more with my life. Like, my grandmother always uh, told me, like, to find a good guy. Hopefully, you're going to find a good guy. You're going to get a job, work, and live, like, a like a sad life. You know, like, she had, like, <laughs> she was very, she was a conformist, you know? Like, she. A what? Conformist? That she will be. Oh, conformist, yes. Okay, conformist. sorry. I'm not <laughs> trying to be a snob with my language. I'm just trying to. Sorry. No, she was Understand. like, she will never leave my grandfather because. He wasn't going to leave her, so she would stay with him because of that. So she, she thought that's how it should be. And she always felt less than everybody other than him because he was educated and she wasn't. Mm-hmm. But really the one that made the money was her, and he was just living out of her. So I saw all these things, and I was like, I, I want to show my grandmother that you can be whatever you want to be. Where did that come from in you? Do you, do you know? I don't know. I always wanted to, I, you know, the women in my family have had such a bad histories with men and they've been abused and repressed. And even my grandmother, my mom, like my, my dad used to hit her. And so I, I really wanted to be, I don't know, that might be why I'm so mean with men and I'm like, I do whatever I want. I'm mm-hmm. the guy always in the relationship. I don't know, because I wanted to to have a different life. I wanted to be powerful. You know, I have my own thing going on. I didn't want to depend on any guy, like emotionally, you know, like yeah. be abused. Right. So you were protecting yourself. Yes. And Maybe. I wanted to, you know, to be like one day, like be uh, independent, be something, Yeah. travel the world and be like, hey, grandma, you, you know, these things are possible for us. We are, can- is your grandma still alive? No, she passed away. It was very sad. She passed Sorry. away two years ago. Sorry about that. It was really, really that. sad. Yeah. Yeah. And what about your mom? Is she still in Peru? Yes, she's in Peru. And uh, and are you close? Yeah, we're close. We talk a lot, but when we are together, we don't get along. So it's, it's better not? when we are far away. We're very similar. We're very similar. We have really similar personalities. So we get into a lot of fights, you know? We're like always discussing. Oh, she, I always want to do things in one way and she wants them in the other way. Well, she complains a lot. She's a huge complainer. Uh. So, and she snores too hard, you know. So sometimes when I have to sleep with her, she snores horribly and I can't <laughs> sleep. And 
That's very specific reason. (laughs) (laughs) When she came to America, we had to sleep together, and it was a nightmare for me. I prefer to go to Peru, so I have my own room. Yeah. And we don't have to sleep with each other. So I want to back up a little bit. So are you an only child? No, I have my sister. My sister came after my mom had another relationship. My mom got married twice after my dad. So she's the uh, she she's the daughter of the second marriage. Okay, and uh, and are you close with her? Well, I left when she was five. So you never really had a relationship. I mean, I wish I had. I I I was a shitty sister because when she was born, I got jealous, and I was I was I was raised all by my own. I was always alone, so. I really didn't take care of her, you know. It wasn't a good sister. I was, I always have that thing on my mind. I should have been a better sister at the time I was with her. It's kind of, um, I learned that it's, it's pretty typical that when somebody has been like the only child for a little while, and then there's another kid that they become jealous, because it happened to me too when my brother, um, I'm the oldest. I have three younger brothers, but when the first younger brother was born, I also got very jealous, and my parents used to bring it up to me all the time for years. They'd be like, you didn't want him. You didn't want your brother. And I, and you, you were mean to him when he was born. And, and I look back and I'm like, well, I was four and I was used to being the only one for four years. And then I felt like I was replaced. I felt like I wasn't doing a good enough job. So you had another kid. <laughs> I remember feeling that way. I remember feeling like I'm not doing it for them. So they went and replaced me. And nobody explained it to me well. I I don't know. I was 10 years old when my sister came. Even more so, yeah. And I don't know. I think I was, I was a brat a little bit. Like I got just, my mom, my mom was never really affectious. Mm -hmm. So she would buy me things instead, you know, get me the things that I wanted. Because her second marriage was a guy that was wealthy. So we, from being really poor, we passed to have things, everything. I could went, I could go to a good school. So... I thought I, in my stupid little mind, was like, oh, she's going to take over everything that my mom is buying for me, something like that. Like, Also, because this guy wasn't your real father, now she had him as her real father. Oh, yeah, my mom will be. I think it's all my mom's because she always like, you got to be grateful. She's the real daughter. You're getting, you know, you're getting stuff. Yeah. So all these things, you know. That's got to make you feel like a real complex from yeah. that. Yeah. I kind of feel like it was partially my mom's fault, but but I still feel shitty. I, I didn't grow up closer to her. I, I'm going to say it wasn't your fault. Yeah, I, I always think the same. I think everything comes from the parents. Everything is the parents' fault. Mm-hmm. But now that I'm a grown-up, I think, oh, I should be closer to her. But she lives in Peru, you know, so it's... You should call her after the show. I, I'm gonna call her. Yeah, we talk sometimes. We talk on um, WhatsApp, yeah. and we we talk. We talk once in a while. You, you know, you have like a different understanding of life now and everything. You can. Yes, but my sister, we're kind of different. You know, she's more social. She likes to go out to parties and do things with friends. I'm like, I just do comedy, go home. You know, and yeah. I, I'm not a social person. People think that comedians are very social and they like to hang out and go out and drink and, and go to parties. And we are not really. No. We're just very close people. We like to go to our thing <laughs> and live and not talk to anyone. Right. Or maybe we talk to the people that came to the show, but we don't want to go party or do other things. Yeah, generally I haven't seen too much of that from comedians. 
No, no. So my sister is very different. So we, we kind of don't connect in that level, right? Well, I think she was probably raised in a more secure kind of way. She was right. Ra- my mom calmed down with her. My mom calmed down because with me, she was so strict. She wouldn't let me go out much. Um, then she would always check all my bedroom to see if I was having sex or see, see if I was drinking or something. She would like, I remember when I was 13, I, I started like kind of drinking with my friends, you know, like those things that you do when you're 13. So I had like a little thing of, a little, how do you say? Flack, I don't a know. A flask? A flask of room in my bedroom. I had it uh-huh. and she found it. It was a huge deal. I couldn't go out for like two months. Oh man. And then every time I went to a party, she would check all my body, like to see if I had kisses or smells of men. It was crazy. Wow. Every time I had a boyfriend, she was always taking me to the doctor to see, are you still a virgin? Wow. So my sister didn't have to deal with any of that. That's that's intense. <laughs> Man, that's like, you, have, that's you really intense. had no privacy. You were always no. under investigation. She will read my diaries. No they, wonder you got out of there. You were like, I got my I, phone. She went over everything. Wow. Everything. I don't know how she got a hand of most of my staff. It was like a private detective, my mom. Yeah, you must have felt like really like. If in that time there would have been like GPS, the thing that you can track people, she would have put one on my phone or something. Or on you. Yeah, on me, inside me. <laughs> yeah. I would have one. Yeah, I'm sure. You might have one in you right now. I, for don't, all I you don't even know. <laughs> she might be listening to this in Peru with like, you know, the headphones like FBI in a van, you know. <laughs> you know what? I'm grateful because. I live abroad since I was 17 because I went to do college in Europe, you know, and I've never done anything bad, really. You know, I've always been very, very always protect myself. I think it's because of my mom, the way my mother raised me. Yeah. I never, like, got in crazy sexual situations or, like, really drunk. I never got really drunk and do something stupid. You've never been really drunk? I was, I have been really drunk twice in my whole life. Wow. And I'm 31 years old. I was really drunk when I was, I remember I was 14, I think, and it was New Year's, and I went to my friends that lived uh, two houses away from my house, you know? Mm-hmm. I went to her house, and she was playing with her aunt and her causing a drinking game, and I started playing, and we got really drunk, the whole family, and my mom came to look for me, <laughs> and she's like, what, are you drunk? And- <laughs> And my friend was there like, it's your fault. And she hit my friend. Oh, man. And we started laughing. And we started laughing, my friend, me. And then I went home laughing and I couldn't walk. I remember I couldn't uh-huh. get up the stairs. That's drunkness. Yeah. That was. <laughs> That's after- being intoxicated. Yeah. But, you know, surprisingly, my mom wasn't really mad after because she knew I was with the family. Yeah. And the aunt called to, to apologize. So she didn't know we got so drunk. And the second time I was. 22 years old. I remember this twice in my whole life. I was in Italy, in Bologna, uh-huh. in the plaza, the piazza, in the big piazza, Piazza Maggiore. They do a New Year's, a whole thing. And everybody comes with a champagne bottle and we everybody shares. Like you, someone wow. gives you their champagne bottle. <laughs> that know? sounds really fun. That's how you pass herpes to people. I don't know. Yeah. I was like... <laughs> I was drinking from everybody's bottle, and I was like, I just came out of a breakup, I remember. So I, I got really drunk that night, too. Wow. And those are the only two times? That's the only two times. That's, I always take care of myself. That's incredible. You know, I think women get really horny when they are really drunk, and they sleep with guys. Because 
the few times that I had like even two drinks and I'm kind of buzzed, I am kind of horny to be honest. I'm like, uh, so I don't want to get into sleeping with some random guy, mm -hmm. you know? Maybe I could get a drunk again when I have a serious relationship. Right. And I can, I'm with a guy that I'm having sex because I've seen awful things that happen when you're drunk. Wow. So, yeah. so being under constant uh, scrut scrutinization and investigation really left you. Uh, I don't. I don't blame my mom for any of that. Yeah. Like I'm always. She hit me so much when I was a kid. Hit you? Yeah. And like I talk about that on my stand up, and I don't even hate her for that. I'm good with that because I'm not like entitled or bitchy. I mean, that was that's our ways to raise kids. Our way to raise kids in South America, and. I don't hate her for that. Like I don't have any to blame her for. I think, I think she did a good job. When I see other kids that, that are really fucked up right now. Yeah. I don't know if I will hit my kids. I will try to make an effort to talk to them more before I get to that point. Yeah. But I don't hate her for that. I just think I think she did her best in the way that she knew. It's interesting, you know. I was also raised um, in many ways by a Peruvian mother. <laughs> Yeah, Jewish mom. But but also a Peruvian mom because my mom, my parents hired a, a cleaning lady when we were young and she was from Lima, Peru. Lima. Oh. And she moved in. She took my bedroom actually. Oh. <laughs> They're like, you're sharing your room with your brother now because she needs to move in. And they helped her get citizenship. That's and, so nice. And she parents. lived with us for my whole childhood. And she was the one who like disciplined us and made cooked for us. And like she was, we really didn't get along for a long time. I, I'm hearing now that I think she was just a typical like Peruvian mm. mother, but I thought she was really mean. Now she, we're really close because, you know, so many years have passed and she's, uh, she's got a son of her own and he's like a brother to me. And, um, and so she, you know, she's very, still a very big part of my life. Yeah, Peruvian so, women are very strict. She was very strict. Annoying sometimes. She used to pull me by my ear, and she had long fingernails, and they would dig into my ear. And she used to pull me around the house by my ear. Yeah, my mom. Yeah, that's that's the least that you can do. You know, if she was your mom. I'm sure she would have done more. <laughs> yeah, but that's how we're raised. You know, it's nothing wrong. She, she thought of you like a kid, like her kid. You know, she was trying to raise you how she was raised. She, she always would pinch me, like, because I was overweight. She would always pinch my oh, fat. Oh, my mother, too. My mom, every time I would get fat, she would, like, shame me. She would, oh, she shamed me all the time. She used to be like, I think you need a bra. <laughs> That's funny, yeah. She said it to me all the so time. So many mean things. When I was yeah. a kid, my mom would, like, go to, with my aunt through the newspaper. They see pictures of pigs together. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, that's you and your friends. Like, pictures of pigs. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> Things I, like oh, I think she might have done that to me too. <laughs> Every opportunity she had. Every time I was getting fat, she would be like, "You're getting fat. You're eating too much. Oh, you're eating that again." She would check. Even now, if I go to Peru, if I eat something I shouldn't eat, like she's looking at me. And you feel it. You feel it inside. I feel it. But yeah, when I was on a diet for a long time, I wasn't eating that much, and she would be concerned because of that. She was like, "You haven't eaten that much. Like, what do you want, woman?" I was yeah. Like, I'm trying to diet and be skinny, and now you want me to eat? It's so weird. It's so weird because for my grandma, I was, I was always too skinny. Like, even right now, I'm okay. You know, I'm not, like, yeah. skinny. But my grandmother was like, you're too skinny. You have to eat. And for my grandmother, for my mother, I was always too fat. You couldn't win. 
I couldn't win never with my mom. She wanted me to be the perfect woman always. It sounds like you grew up in a really tough way because your father left, your mother got a new guy, replaced him, had a new kid. You felt replaced. This new kid had a mother and father. Your grandmother was telling you one thing. Your mother's telling you another thing. You were constantly under investigation. So you ran away to Europe. Yes, I ran away to Europe. And you never came back. I didn't come back. Yeah, I ran away to (laughs) Europe. Luckily, we had money to do that because of my mom's second marriage. And I didn't want to be at home. This is what happened. My mom was so strict and wasn't always annoying me. She was always pissed or something. You know, her second husband was really older than her, like almost 30 years older. She was 30 and he was like 60. Okay. So... Well, well, no, she was actually, when she had, yeah, she was 20-something when she married him. He was like 50-something, close to 60. They were like 30 years apart. Wow. He was the father of her friend in school. Whoa. Yes, it was crazy. After she finished school, she got a job from him. He was, uh, the, you know, the um, manager of Canon in Peru, the cameras. Yeah. She got a job from him, and they, they got together. It was weird. That and is then, weird, yeah. I grew up in all this weird thing, you know, and then I had money. So my mom always, my always pushed education. She was all over me getting education. So after school, I always took these programs to learn English, learn Italian. I love Europe. I don't know why, since I was little, I mm-hmm. always knew I wanted to go there. So I went to French school. After my school hours, I went to French school. Well, let me pause you for one second. So before your mom got together with this guy, you guys were really poor? We were poor. We would live in my grandma's house, and we were sleeping, my mom and I and my aunt, in one bedroom. With the snoring? With the, with the snoring. I know, at that time, she didn't snore that bad. Okay. She was still young, and I don't know. What's, and I, will, I remember, I, w- I was really close to my grandmother, so I will get out of the bed. In the middle of the night, I go to my grandma's, and then my mom will come, take me out of my grandma's bed, and put me into cold water for like a to a freeze and under cold water because she didn't want me to go to sleep to my grandma's bed. Wow! And I was like, "Why you don't want me?" It's so mean. And later on, she explained to me that she was scared because my grandpa, my grandfather, she knew he was a womanizer and maybe he had some diseases, so sleeping with him in the same bed. She was scared I was going to get like... Oh, he was there too. He was there too. But my grandfather will never touch me. But she was scared uh, I will get something just for sleeping there. Huh. Wow. He was a really nasty guy. So I didn't know that at the time. So I knew... I I thought my mom was mean because she couldn't sleep with my grandmother. So you get what? Cold showers? Cold showers. Many nice cold showers. (laughs) I remember I got cold showers. Cold showers because I didn't want to sleep uh, with her, you know. I wanted to sleep with my grandmother. They need to learn how to communicate better in Peru. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, she needs. She needed to learn that, I think. Yeah. You know, I got a pet snake when I was a kid, and my second mom from Peru freaked out. She said, I brought the devil into the house. <gasps> Diablo. And then I... <laughs> And then I got it. Then I got a guinea pig as a pet, and she, and she kept saying it was it. delicious. <laughs> yeah. yeah, every day she'd be like, "It looks delicious to me, your your guinea pig." Yeah. And then I got an iguana, and the I went away to summer camp, and the iguana got loose. I got a letter. The iguana got loose, oh. and um, no one could find it for weeks. And then 
one day um, she was taking a shower and the iguana was there on the shower curtain and she freaked out again. She thought it was like the devil and she ran out. She ran right out of the house totally naked. She got so scared. And I was like so happy about it because I was so mad at her at the time. I was like, yeah, that's right. That's my iguana. (laughs) Yeah. You got to understand. We're a little, my, I think Peruvian women are a little primitive, crazy primitive, you know, like my mom was like that crazy primitive. She didn't really know how to, how to raise a kid. And my grandmother raised her really tough. So it happened, it passed onto her and then she passed on to me. I would never though put my kid under cold showers in the middle of the night. That's for sure. I, I wouldn't do that. Yeah. I have like a different perspective now that we're really close and um, I really love her, but it, uh, it took a long time. Yeah, because we're, Peruvian women are very strict. But I, her son, who's like a brother to me now, I showed him your stand-up. Oh, cause nice. Because I'm, I'm like, check it out, a Peruvian comedian. And he, Yeah, he was, I would like to he, meet him. Yeah, he really liked it. Yeah, it's an, another Peruvian. Yeah, you know, Peruvians come to the show sometimes, and when they see me, they bring other Peruvians. Like, yeah. Very supportive community. I, I can't imagine there's too many Peruvian comedians. No, there are not. They told me there is one guy, but I've never met him. He's in Miami or something like that. Wow. So there's two that you know of. Two, one of them yeah. is you. Yes. So <laughs> that's a pretty good niche you've yeah. got there. The only Peruvian female comic yeah. in America. So so that's pretty unique that this happened. So you went to, you. I, I imagine you didn't have any aspirations to be a comedian as a kid. No, I always like, this is how I got in touch with comedy. I, I love older movies. I always like, I always was different as a kid. I used to go to the Filmotech. Cineteca, how do you call it, where they pass old films in a city? I don't know. It's a special theater, like the Lemblis Theater. Okay. But for like, just uh, the the country has a special place where they pass older movies. So I will take my grandfather. That's what I I did with my grandfather. I did a lot of cultural things. The womanizer. The womanizer. He was older, so he would go with me to art showings, to to see older older movies. So I, I, I... I got to see Woody Allen a lot, and I really love him. So I was like, what is this guy? So I, I started researching. Uh-huh. He was a stand-up comic. So I started watching him, and I was like, wow, that's so crazy. It's, it's funny, but I, I I never thought I could do it. You know, like, yeah. wow, this is it's weird. It's like, I, but I've never been able to do that. So this is all Woody's fault. Yes. <laughs> I was like, I will never do that. But yeah. I was sticking my mind, right? And then when I moved to Europe... I went to study. My mom sent me to study law. But in Peru, I started college, one year of college. They re- You require one year of college before you go to Europe. Hmm. So I started doing uh, literature, linguistics. So I went to Italy, and I started studying law, and I couldn't. Like, I always was a good student. I, I had really good grades. But in my college in Peru, I was the first one in my fac. But when I got to Europe, in my faculty, I was the first student, number one. Okay. But when I got to Europe and I couldn't study law, it wasn't for me. I just couldn't. I I opened the books and I couldn't. And so I I told my mom, I got to change. I got to change. This is not my path. I'm not meant to be a diplomatic. They wanted me to be a diplomatic. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, I I always liked the arts, but I didn't know I could do it as a profession. But I went to Europe and 
people are al allow themselves to be whatever they want to be there. So I'm like, oh, I can be really whatever I want to be. I don't have to be a successful person. I don't have to be all these things that my mom wants me to be. Yeah, I'm not a successful person. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like my mom wanted to be me to be a diplomatic, then be a government person, be a politician, and be big. And that's what my mom's aspirations. Mm -hmm. I always liked the art, but I wanted to make them happy. But when I was there, I realized, no, I can't do this. It's no, I can't really. I'm trying and I can't. So I changed. I went to study literature and I went to acting school. They have a, an acting drama, drama school in Bologna. So I did both. And then I started doing theater. But I, I always was like, oh, I like this. I love it, but it's not what I'm meant to do with my life. I like, I need more. So I started writing like little plays. I went back to Peru. I joined an acting company after I studied. I went to Rome first. I was doing theater. I went to Peru. Yeah. And yeah. I started writing things. And then I came to America and I was just, I was like, no, I want to do funny stuff. So I came here and started doing a sketch comedy. Where? I was in that, there was this company, the Straight Jacket Society. Okay. I started That's doing a sketch. Yes. And I was like, this is cool, but I don't like this group thing. I want to do comedy. And for two years since I, when I moved here, because I didn't know English very well. It's not I know a lot right now, but I didn't know how to communicate very well. I was still studying, going to classes, and I was going to see a lot of stand-up. But I was still, I was like, no, I don't think I can do this. What if one day I want to say something and it doesn't come to me in English and I can't really say anything and there is someone hacking me. I'm like, yeah. So I was doing a sketch. I had the same fears. The only thing is I'm, I'm natural English speaker. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like, it's a fear, but it was especially for me. I'm like, oh, God. Yeah. Uh -huh. But I, I wasn't really enjoying doing a sketch, and I was like, I got to try a stand-up. And I remember one day, I just broke up with my ex. I was really depressed, and, like, I was like... This is a different ex than the other story. Yes, yes. This ex is my, my first husband when I was here. Right. You got married when you got here. Yes, I got married. Okay. So we broke up. And we'll then I was we'll like, have to hear that part of the story in a second. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then it was like, oh, I had I had nothing to lose. You know, it was like I can have him like criticizing me or like feeling bad if it doesn't work out for me. Because my fear was he seeing me bombing or something and feeling bad about myself. Mm -hmm. But then I started doing it. I went to my first open mic. I remember it was a Marty's. Have you ever been a Marty's? It's mm. like a it's a weird place. They have open mic all day. It's weird. You got to pay $5 and you get up. Uh -huh. And I remember I did it the first time and I was like, oh, this is what I was supposed to do with my life. You know, I was like, oh, this is what I was looking for. And I finally found it, you know, and since that day, I've been doing it every day, basically, you know. So, wow. Yeah. So it was like, it was a weird path because I didn't grow up in a com com comedy community, you know. Sure. Stand-up just started in Peru a few years ago, and there are like 10 stand-up comedians in Lima. Like, Do you go back there and perform? Well, they want me to perform in Spanish, Yeah, but I, I really don't do it. It's surprise. What? Really? You don't do it in Spanish? It's different humor. And I will have to write a whole new set of jokes. You should do it. And I'm thinking about it, but then I don't have how to practice here. You know, it's not like I can do, I can do open mics But you can go to Mexico and practice. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking about going for a whole month to Mexico and try to do it. But at the same time, I, I'm working still on my setting English. You know, it's a lot of work to do stand-up. Yeah. It's just, I'm just 
also working on my setting English. So I'm so focused on that today. It takes all of my time, really, because you got to write jokes, practice, and shows. You have shows. And I'm currently making the living, my living of stand-up. You know, I pay most of my bills out of this. So I travel and everything. But uh, what I was saying to you, uh, in Peru, there are not many stand-ups. When I go there, actually, they are... They think I'm like a celebrity because I get to perform in the big clubs here. Uh-huh. And I perform with famous comics sometimes. They're like, oh, my God, they want me to go talk to them, like do a conference or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> you could do it. You could go back and be a hero in your own country. That's pretty cool. I can't yeah. do that. Yeah, you're, this is your country. <laughs> this you don't is have it. any <laughs> I always wished. I always wished that I came from somewhere where, like, it would be impressive that I do the things I do. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm from New York. It's like, you know, yeah, everybody's like nobody cares from <laughs> New York. Like, even if I came from like Omaha or something, I could go back to Omaha and they'd be like, wow, oh, you wow. did. You're a celebrity. But when I go back to New York, it's just, it's just like, ah, so yeah. Okay, good. So what? You know? Oh, you're, yeah, that's so unfortunate. New York is like, everybody's a comedian there. Right. It's not even a thing. It's, it's not a thing. It's part of being <laughs> in New York. And there's no impressing people from New York. You know? No. There's always someone way more impressive than you. Yes, just so. about part. But at least you come from a beautiful place in America, you know. I guess so, yeah. So, There's so much culture in New York and so diverse. I love it. Yeah. It's funny that, you know, Woody Allen seems to be like the one who got through to South America. Because I used to go and hang around at the Carlisle with him. Um, and... Um, all these different uh, Latino women would come up afterwards to talk to him, and I was like, he he he, he broke through. He's uh, yeah. So like, we knew Woody Allen, like like well, not everyone, but we knew that that he existed for a long time. It's like he yeah. has so many great movies. Yeah. So many comedies. Like his first movies were the best for me, you know. Yeah, they were great. And so people knew him. And we all admire him, even with all these sex scandals and things. Because that's nothing in South America. Well, your, yes. your own mother married a guy oh, who is... The Me Too thing for me is like a white girl shit, you know? Like, I grew up with sexual harassment next to me. Like, I would sit in the bus, mm-hmm. and a guy next to me would masturbate next to me. Like, that happened to me all the time. Like... I remember once this guy started, like, he was doing something with his cat. His coat was on top of his legs. And then he felt, and I saw his dick was out. And, like, that happened all the time, constantly. I would be standing in a corner, and a guy in front of me would take, pull out his dick, masturbate in front of me. Wow. As, you know, when you have a job, there we don't have all these fancy laws in America and to protect women. So I was constantly sexually harassed by all my bosses, even in Italy, when I moved to Italy. They all, I was, so, it, for me, it's part of surviving, dealing with this. You just got to deal with a guy. <laughs> Smile, go away, work that guy so you won't have to do anything and still get to work. It's fascinating to me that people were so disrespectful that they would, you know, disrespectful is a nice way to put it, but that they would masturbate in front of you, yet respectful enough that they weren't touching you. They were just keeping to themselves. Uh, yeah, yeah, this is like <laughs> such a weird thing. I don't know. That happened. Pretty, I was a kid when that happened. When that yeah. started happening, I was like 10 years old going on the bus on my own. 
And it happened through all my life when I lived there. So at some point, a nasty guy doing that was normal. Like, cover your dick, asshole, and I will change shit. You know, it wasn't, I wasn't like surprised by it. Wow. So when someone, uh, my bosses, most of my bosses, every job I have when I was in Europe will sexually harass me at some point. So I wasn't surprised. I was like, I got to deal with this pig now. Did they ever touch you or it was always? Sometimes they try, but you will, you know, you learn how to deal with this man with life. So you will be like, oh, I can't, <laughs> I got to go there. We'll be like, oh, you're so cute. I don't know. You know, it was like their wives will be there and they will still do it. Wow. So for you, it's, uh, it's second nature to protect yourself in yes. this way. So but. I wouldn't go to a hotel to meet a guy without expecting him to have sex with me. That's my point. All these women that went to meet that guy in a hotel, I'm like, why do you go? It's obviously he's going to want to have sex with you. So if I decide to go, it's because I decide to have sex with a guy. Well, the Louis C.K. thing, like, why do you go to a guy's room? Like, he's obviously want to have sex with two girls at the same. Yeah. I anticipate all that. So I'm like, I don't do those things. That's why I don't drink. That's why I don't go out with guys. Like, that's why I don't do. If I do it, it's because I want to have the other part. That's, the, that's my thought. That's yeah. how I think. So That's, I think there is so much bullshit in that. Like there is a lot of truth because if you got raped by a guy and you didn't go to any hotel room to meet him, you were you were going to his house and his wife was going to be there and you felt protected. That's something else. That's Yeah, this guy's a jerk. But you put yourself into a situation where you knew that was going to happen. Right. And the, and the lie here is that human nature is not uh, such that a guy would, pursue a woman in his own room or hotel room or whatever yes yeah you're like no just because he's famous what do you think like guys that are famous are the worst you know they do whatever they want they they can have anything they want i go on the road with guys and they get in threesomes and they are not even famous they get chicks drunk they bring them to the room and they do their things and i am disgusted by it but for me it's yeah you don't put yourself in that situation mm-hmm when you go on the road with guys, do they try also? Of course they, no. At this point, they respect me because they are like, oh, Luz won't do anything. Like, yeah. Luz is just a dream for all of us. <laughs> Luz is just, they all like have this idea, like a me, one, maybe one. They all keep trying, but they know that nothing is going to happen. Yeah. And with the time, guys have to learn to respect you because I'm not trying, like I'm not there to, they know I'm not there to try to hook up with anyone. Yeah. So, you have Do to you hook up on it. the road with guys? Never. Never. Ever. I'm not a hookup type, you know? Yeah. So I'm very careful. That's why I tell you I don't get drunk. I don't put myself in the situation that I will get horny. May end up sleeping with a guy. I don't know because I, I'm a stupid. Right. And I mean, to be honest, I'm not attracted to any of the guys that I go on the road. Like if you get to know some comedians better, most of comedians are sociopaths or... Uh, <laughs> It's honest. It's honesty. Or really to themselves. They're narcissists. They're, so why will I put myself in a situation to sleep with a, that type of person? What about you? Are you any of those things? I think I'm a little bit narcissistic. Yeah, for sure. I, I think, but I, I, can, I can be in a relationship if I want to. Like, I, I can try to stop thinking about myself. Yeah, but you've got generations of uh, abusive men, like, <laughs> you know, weighing over you with every decision. I think any guy is going to be like almost scrutinized the way your mother scrutinized you. 
Yeah, I'm very picky with men. I'm like, yeah, wow, yes. Uh, it's really hard for a guy to get with me. So how did this guy wind up marrying you? What? How did that go? Well, <laughs> I was new in America. We just met each other. And I told him, listen, if you really like me, you have to marry me. I have to go back to Peru because I have just four months more here that I can be legally here. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, okay, I'm going to marry you. Let's see how it goes. Or if it doesn't work, we split apart. It was a good relationship for almost two years and a half. But then he decided to break up. Everybody thinks that I broke up with him because I just was just like, I got whatever I wanted from you. Bye. I joke about it. But really, he broke up with me because he was 32 when I met him. And I am a very quiet person. As I say, I don't go out. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. And he still felt with me he was missing on that. So towards the end of the relationship, he was going out with his friends. And mm-hmm. I would be like, okay, you go party. I will stay at home. So he saw that in LA, you can get hooked up with girls because it's really easy. Mm-hmm. They all get drunk. They all want drunk drugs and they all like when you have a fancy job he worked at dancing with the star he was a field producer mm-hmm. so getting pressed so it's so easy to do that so he still wanted to live that life so he told me i i felt like i'm settled here yeah were you hurt did you love him i was hurt i wasn't gonna live here ever because i was loyal to him you know but at the same time i thought i also thought that he wasn't the one for me because I gotta be honest, he was too white for me. Too white? <laughs> he was like a little racist in some stuff that he said. I didn't like the way that he talked to me sometimes. And I think he got too used to me doing everything for him because this is how I was raised. If a guy is paying for all your bills, that's what my mom was told. If a guy is paying for all your life, he's giving you money for your bills and he, you're happy with that. You don't have to work. Because he didn't have to work. I just had to go do comedy, go to the auditions, whatever he wanted to do. I have to take care of him. So I, I would I would do his laundry, everything at home for him. So he got used to that mm-hmm. too much. So he took it up for granted. So at the end of the relationship, he would be like, what did you cook today? I was like, oh, I made lentil soup. I, I ate that two, year, two days ago. I don't want that. Or like, he would be like, please, can you do my bag? When he, he traveled a lot for Dancing with the Stars. Can mm-hmm. you do my luggage? Can you do my bag? Just go do my back. Things like that. Like, no nice, you know? Yeah, he wasn't speaking to you respectfully. He was yes. just bossing you around like you worked he for He was him. bossing me around. He was bossing me around a lot. So it was like, I don't have to deal with shit at all. Yeah. But you would have stayed with him forever. I would have stayed with him because I was grateful. Because he came, I got all legal and I was a citizen after because of our relation. I was grateful to him because he took me in. Um, he trusts me, you know, I could have been taking advantage of him, but he trusts me. Mm-hmm. And I, I, those things, I'm very respectful of that. You know, when people, um, people trust me and respect me in that way, I was really grateful to him. But after all the things that he was like bossing me around, I didn't grow up to be bossed around. You know, my mom would be like, just slap the guy and go away. But <laughs> I, I couldn't get in, into that with him. So I, if I was to stay with him, he would have had to change to all of those things. Yeah. But if but he felt he didn't have to, and he liked more the LA life. He wanted to have that LA life. But we're friends now, you know. He's like, 
he already had his fan. He's 40 something now. And mm -hmm. he's like, oh, I'm old now. I got a dog. I'm quiet. So he, he wound up with nobody, just a dog? Yes. He, I don't think, now he wants to settle down. Now, before he was just having a lot of fun. Right after we broke up, he was just with different girls, having fun, doing yeah. drugs, getting into drugs, doing, well, I mean, like, I don't know if he did cocaine, but he was doing weed or whatever. Yeah. So I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like it was um, not a great situation for you, but. No, he wasn't ready. I don't think he was yeah. a bad guy. Yeah. I think he wasn't ready. And maybe he was too much of a New Yorker, you know? He was from New York. And you guys sometimes speak in a way that is not too nice. The New Yorkers are too direct. Like, the, I remember the first time I went to and New I York. And I think Peruvians are too direct. <laughs> but I was too used to LA, the fake LA nice. Uh -huh. But when you're in New York, everybody's so rude. Like, so, yeah. like, so he was too much of, like, very straightforward, tough. By the way, isn't it funny? Like, if you look at America, the coasts. You go all the way to the East Coast, it's pretty harsh. You come yes. all the way to the West Coast, it's overly nice. Overly nice. But if you go like in the middle, it's kind of just right. Isn't it? It's, the middle is the middle. The middle, yeah, it's the middle of the, the but, attitude. Yeah, the attitude in the middle of America they is are the middle. They're racist, like mostly racist. Yeah. At least in New York, I find like in the West Coast, people are not that racist, are more open. Because I think they're exposed to more diversity. More diversity, yeah, that's what I think. Too. Yeah, and in California too, they are overly nice, but I think they are more progressive. They are more open to these things. But in the middle, they are like, I feel like they are more racist. Like I had shows in, in Minnesota, Iowa, and like people sometimes like one guy was yelling once, "K K K," he was like he was yelling, "Get out of my stage" or things like that. That's that's when I was in the middle. There was my encounters with like racist people, you know. Mm -hmm. So what were you going to say about New York when I interrupted you? I'm sorry. You were saying that they're very direct. They're very harsh. They're harsh. They're direct. And so I I was used to New York nice, to LA nice. Yeah. So the first time I went to New York, I was like, why is everybody so rude here? <laughs> but then I got used to it. I was like, oh, they're just like that. And when they get to know you, they are nicer. Yeah. But in LA, they're just fake nice. You know? It's amazing Everybody's that fake nice. New York... You know, good for us. We've actually gotten to the point where you can make someone uncomfortable who grew up where everybody just masturbates in front of you. Yes. you still, still, you go to New York and you're like, I don't know about this. Place. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I changed, you know. I was like, I forgot about that. I got so tired. I'm like, oh, I, yeah. you're being so such a dick, you know, but at least he's not showing me his dick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah so it's, it's so weird how you forget. The things that you grow up with. I just remember them when I have to. Like, I was like, yeah, guys used to masturbate from. I remember I was always a big fan of Shakira. And wow. um, in her music videos, like every one of those music videos could be a Me Too story. They're always like guys grabbing her ass and stuff like that. It's such like South American. It's so different, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, not the ones that are so much. Yeah, I think even the ones that are for American audiences, but especially the Spanish music videos. Like, she's being sexually harassed in every video. Have you seen Juan de Dance, the dance Perreo? Those dances that, like, is like kind of pitbull music. Yes. And they are, like, moving their ass and the guys behind them. It's gross. Like, yeah. I'm like, don't do that, woman. Like, women don't respect themselves anymore. 
Do you think it's more so in South America? Yeah, well, there is this type of music came from there, you know? But I think it comes from ignorance, to be honest. Women like that don't get education, people in general don't get education, they 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 fall into this kind of situations. Like it's like you have a lot of the poor families over there that the dad sleep with a daughter daughter and shit like that. That's really? Just it comes from ignorance, a lot of it. That's what I think. It's just really gross and some things that happen. I think it happens here too, right? But So you think it's not so much the culture that it, but it's just the education? I think education have a lot to do with it. Do you think it's also cultural? Um, well, there is a lot of people with money that they still do fucked up shit and they got all the education they want. But I think, yeah, I think it has to do mostly with education. That's, I think that's a problem. Um, I want to go back to the, what you were saying about being on stage and people yelling KKK, yeah. which you're, you know, a petite, pretty girl from another country. Yeah. That's kind of scary, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They wanted to kick off the guy. But it was like one show. Sometimes people would be like pissed because I talk about white people, you know. I talk shit about white people sometimes on, mm -hmm. on my act. And they don't like it. But most people are good with me because, I'm, come on, I'm a girl. Yeah. I'm not saying anything offensive. Just giving my point of view. But yeah, that was kind of scary. Like, But the other comics were just really pissed and they, were, they wanted to kick out the guy and everything. Mm-hmm. But it always happens to me when there are a lot of white people in these places that sometimes people don't agree with me. Do you do you find that you're ever in very scary situations being a woman on the road? Yes, sometimes guys get really drunk. Guys come up to me, and and they wanna, but they wanna, they come really close to the stage to tell things to me. I have to do a lot of shitty shows, you know. Mm -hmm. I do shows in bars where like they're half the crowd's drunk. They're like really racist people they are like illegal people like really different types of people and it happens that i always find the bar where the guy gets offended for whatever i said and comes up to me and then everybody has to come up behind the guy to grab him he does something but yeah i've been in like a couple of bad situations but i like to deal with the with that because it's part of learning how to deal with crowds Yeah. So I put myself in the situation too. It's not like I don't do it. But if the guy comes and talks to me, I have to respond to him. You know, I won't tell, hey, come grab this guy. I've never done it because I feel like I have to deal with it. Do you think you'll get married again? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so because I want to have kids at some point. But I, if I don't, I'm good with it too. I'm good right now. Like it's, I feel like yeah. as I... I get more into comedy and I get to do more and I get paid and I go to around. I feel like the less I need a man. So for you, it's just about needing a man. But yes. what about falling in love? What about that? For me, yeah, that's that's the point. For me, it's all about survivance. It's always been about survivance. Men are part of survivance. Everything is about survivance. Like women could get married in my country sometimes because they need a man to take care of them. Amanda gives you security. So in my brain, men are security. But when you don't need that security anymore, you don't really need them. <laughs> I don't, that's, you know, I that's grew up of, like it's that. It's kind of sad though, but I understand. I think it's sad just because like, I feel like there's more to it than that. 
yeah, there is more to it, but it's part of how you grew up. So in your brain, that has to change. So now, oh, okay, I want to get love. So yeah. then I'm like, oh, do I need love? Who knows? Because, you know, when you live alone for so many years all over the world and you learn to take care of yourself, then you're like, oh, I'm good without drama. You just know? even the story of your first marriage doesn't sound like you fell madly in love or anything. It just seemed like this was a, a circumstance. L- listen, we that- it was circumstantial, but we had a really good first year. You know, we were really into it. I was into it. But we had some differences that became bigger and bigger towards the end. But I had a good first year that I felt I was in love and it was great. And I really was thinking about him all the time and it was good. I was like, I don't know if it was because I had that I had to make it work. So I put a lot of myself on it. But I think he was in love with me too on the first year. But then we just didn't get along. All right, hold on. I'm going to take a pause. I'm going to go grab our philosopher. Oh, okay. Is he here? Yeah, well, it's a note. Oh, okay. <laughs> Come on out, philosopher. <laughs> he was just in the other Where room. Where are you? That's funny. All right. You ready for this uh, philosopher? Yes. Okay, so this is who Alex picked out for you. Um, he picked out someone named, I'm going to butcher the name, I'm sure. Sorry, everyone. Giacomo Leopardi. Uh, Giacomo Leopardi. Giacomo Leopardi. You know it's him. It's Italian. Yes. It's yes. um it's a it's also a poet. Okay. I don't know anything about him, so it's good that you do. Yeah, he has a poem that I love that is called L'infinito, the infinity. Do you know it? Yeah, I know it in Italian. Let me hear it in uh, Italian even though I won't understand. I'm um, it'll sound cool. It's like it's about like I'm going to translate a little bit um I I really love this hill and this uh, earth in this like green space. Uh, that from here the the depth the the far disappears. And in this in this he's talking about this um this land on the top of the hill. Uh-huh. The, uh, the, the side disappears because you don't see anymore words down. You just see the, the infinity. And in this infinity, I get lost. And I remember the eternity and the past loves and everything comes to me. And I feel like I, I get, I, I, my feeling of the poem is like at the end of the poem, he gets mixed up with all the infinity and he's part of it. Uh-huh. It's like, as, it's like a really good Italian poem. It sounds it's romantic. Like yes, El, For, he's so romantic. Speaking of romance. Yes, and yeah. that's my favorite poem. Like when I read that poem, I, I get so it gets into me. You know? Wow, you Alex really. Uh, yeah, it, it 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 touches you somehow. Mm-hmm. Alex did a good job then with this. He goes because Liz spent time in Italy where she earned two degrees. Oh, you earned two degrees. Then. Yeah, I was in literature and acting. Wow. Uh, so that's why he picked an Italian philosopher. Good job, Alex. So let me hear it in Italian. Can you say it in Italian, the poem? Um, well, I can read it to you because Caro mi fu questa sepie in questa terra che da, da cui la, la vista eres marrita. In questo infinito silencio, io mi ricordo della stagione passata e le presente. And then I don't remember the other part of the poem. That was impressive enough. 
That. <laughs> so you speak English, Spanish, Italian. Did you say French? I think you said you went to a French school or? Yes, I speak French. Uh, yes, I used to be really good at French. Like it was my, it was really like my Italian, but I, I haven't spoken in a while. So when I went to France, I lost a little, a little bit, but I was, I was bringing it back when I talked to people, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes, L'Infinito, a poem by La Giacomo Leopardi. Caro mi fu questo ermocole, questa siepe, che de da tanta parte dell'ultimo horizonte il guardo esclude. Ma sedendo e mirando i terminati spazi. And it, it goes on. It's like wow. he talks about this, this hill, that he says everything. Well, I'm and very he impressed hearing you speak Italian. A lot of poems Italian. about his, his, uh, his sister, about his family. He suffered a lot. He was a really a man in a lot of pain. So you've done a good amount of research into him. I like poets. I used to work at the uh, poetry center in Bologna. So I used to be in charge of making the. In Italy, they have poetry readings and actually are popular among the cultural, the cultural people into culture there are very popular. So I will, I will set up the poetry readings. We will bring some poets from Venezuela sometimes, a lot of poets from South America, and we'll do at night where people will read their poems, will be actors reading the poems and talking about the poetry. And what did you, what was it about poetry that you loved so much? Uh, well, I, I don't know. It's just sometimes it gets into you, right? It's like when you listen really good music or really, like when I, I hear Nessun Dorma, it's a, it's a song, opera song okay. or song operas, I, I gets into me and I start crying for no reason it's stupid right no it sounds, I don't think it's it sounds stupid. oh she's a dumb girl but it's like That's sometimes not what I was thinking there all. is something that gets i think points talks about feelings and words express every feeling the world have to get inside you and when it's put together like Giacomo Lopardi when he I read that point I can feel what he's feeling when he's on top of the hill and and he, he gets to your soul he gets inside your soul I think that's about poetry. It gets the feelings that the poet talk about with words describe a feeling that you get and then it makes you feel something. Do you think there's a way to do that with comedy? Yes. I think comedy is a really great art form that allows you to to say whatever you feel, how you feel about the world and share your vision about the world. It's just, it's really hard, like for poets, it's really hard to come out with a great poem. Uh, for comedians, it's really hard to come out with that smart joke that is, it will get to everyone. Is there a joke that you know that has touched you in a way that a poem has? Um, you know, I love, <laughs> I love Louis C.K. when he talks about being white and he's awesome. And he's like, oh, I can go anywhere back in time. And go and people, I will have the waiter. Yes, sir. Come here, sit. Oh, He's waiting for my table. Funny, I have a similar joke. I never knew that to be his, but I have one where I talk about I can't go back anytime, anywhere in time because I'm a Jew. You're a Jew, so it's like... That's it's, funny. It's, yeah, but as a white person, you can't go back anywhere in time. And then he talks about being white and how privileged white people are and and he, how cool it is to be white. And I, I think when he talks about that, I really relate to him. I think it's great. Is this, what do you mean? Because you're not white. 
No, but I relate to the feeling that he uh, he knows is great, mm. and people white people don't really know how lucky they are. But when he talks about it, you are like, yeah, they my I in my understanding, white people also might be like, yeah, it's pretty cool to be white. So wait a minute, that touches you in the same way as this poem. From- no, but it makes <laughs> no, no, no. It's a different way to touch me. It's a yeah. touch me like I relate to him, uh, and I. I can see that he 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 really knows what he's talking about, and you know, com- comedy is different than poetry. Poetry is more emotional, yeah. You know, so comedy instead is something funny that makes you think. It's focusing on one emotion, whatever it is yes. that makes you laugh. It's um, exactly, and poetry is like it it touches you in a different way. You see, but laughter and crying—it's like the same thing because, like, if you laugh really hard, you cry. Yes. So laughter is just um, a derivative of the feeling of crying. So I feel like you don't cry so hard you laugh, but you laugh so hard you cry. So crying is an elevation of laughter. Oh, wow. I do think that. Well, I think that every joke comes from a painful moment yeah. in your life. It never, so it's never funny crying, when things go really well. Yeah. After yeah. crying, you make fun of it. Right. So, for example, if I make a joke about my mom hitting me when I was a kid, it was very painful at the time. But now I can make fun of it because it doesn't hurt anymore. Now it's time to laugh at it. Right. But the laughter is also, like I said, I think the laughter is almost a derivative of the tears. I think so. I think so. I think, you know how comedy is a yes and no together? Yes and no. It's like... It's like, for example, when you're in a sitcom and like someone says, you have a reversal. Someone's, I love the t-shirt, no on you. So it's right. supposed to be a joke. Like, I love it, yes, no on you, so no, right? Right. So it's the same. It's like happiness and sadness. Yeah. They're like, they are really close together. In a way, it's emotional detachment. Emotional. It's like, it's like you're almost going to get to the real place, but no. That's the yes and no. It's like, we're going to get really close to touching you, but no. But and then you're like, <laughs> it's almost like a relief in some way. And it's like... um, I don't know, because they're comedy and comedy, right? There is comedy that gives you that laughter, fast laughter, like you laugh right away. Uh-huh. Like a comedy in that you go to the movie theaters, you laugh, and then you don't think about it anymore. But then there are comedians that make jokes, that make points. Right. And after that, you stay and think about it. And you think about that joke. and Like, why was it so great? Because he was talking about this and this. And I think that's that's closer to poetry because it has an effect inside you. Yeah. I wonder if you could take poetry that really touches people and add laughter to it and still have it touch people. Because, again, like I feel like the laughter <laughs> takes you out of the emotionality. Yeah. The laughter will totally take you. Like if you take Giacomo Leopardi poem and you make fun of it, I don't think people will. Like, yeah, so poetry is a, a deeper level of emotionality for I sure. I think so. I yeah. think it, it takes you deep inside. It's more organic, right? Like Yeah. Grrr. Cool, interesting. So I'm going to give you the synopsis of, am I saying it now right? Leopardi? Leopardi, yeah. Leopardi. Leopardi says, reason is the enemy of happiness. Through reason, we convince ourselves that we have a higher purpose. 
and that figuring it out will finally make us happy. This is an illusion that only causes more pain. Because our search for truth never ends, we will never find an answer that makes us happy. We should accept that we will never know everything and just live a full life. This means we should take new risks whenever possible. Embracing uncertainty is what allows us to do great things because we are ignoring the pursuit of happiness. Because we are ignoring the pursuit of happiness? Yeah, yes, I guess this so. Is the, yeah, because we're just embracing day a day. Yeah, you're not trying to, to get happiness, you're just trying to do stuff. Yes, it's like comedians, right? We, we could have done a safe career, but we take the risk and we live day a day without knowing what expects the future, no economical security, but we're being happy with what we do instead of being rational and going for the career that is going to make us money. Yeah. He says Columbus sailed into the unknown, taking a risk. He didn't convince himself that he would sail to happiness, but rather to discovery. Reason should be used to understand our place in the universe. Infinitely small, and only then are we free to take big action. Hmm. Oh, yeah, I agree. You have to live. You have to make what you have to do. I don't think people like us take rational decisions in general. Like we're more like him. We just do what we think will make us happy at the moment. I'm not thinking about the future of reason. Right. I think about the future sometimes, but I get depressed when I do it because I'm like, I'm 32 years old. I don't, I like, I'm pursuing this career. I don't have like money. You know, I like, <laughs> I, I have to make my money every week. And I'm always saying like, in despair, I don't know if it's going to work out for me. I'm not going to, I don't know if like, I'm going to be big or I'm just, you know, you don't know. Yeah. Just live day a day without worrying about what's going to happen. I think it's a big part of. Yeah. That's tougher when you're married, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. I, I feel bad for people. Like I know when you're married, you're a guy, especially. I yeah. feel for guys in comedy when women say that, oh, women have a hard time in comedy. That's bullshit. Because, like, when you're, especially when you're a pretty girl, uh, you get more opportunities even if you're not funny. And if you're funny, you're lucky because people will keep working with you if you're funny and reliable. When you're a guy, you have to work really hard for people to get to see you. And if you have a family, you also have to deal with being a man in your house, plus trying to be a comedian. So I find, like, guys have a hard, especially when you're a white guy, it's really hard. Thank you. So I, I really, I always, <laughs> I don't listen, consider when I see myself a guy, white, but I mean, well, that's, Jewish, how, that's I, how I, I look at it. We yeah. Jewish people, why either too? But Thank you. once I met a friend, I had this friend, Darul Lamontre. I was like, you're not white, you're Jewish. Because we always have these discussions. Uh -huh. And he's like, no, white, you're not white, you're Jewish. And take this as a compliment from me. Yeah. <laughs> you're different. You come from a, from a lot of suffering people. Like it's a whole generations of people that suffer. It's so different. I don't think yeah. you're white. Because if you don't consider white yourself white, it's okay. So I think especially with Jewish people, there are so many comedians still, you know, like it's hard. I think for men with families, it's harder than for women. Well, thank you for acknowledging it. I feel very validated. Yeah, yeah. I, I always, <laughs> in fact, when I see a new comedian, yeah. a guy that is funny, something I can help him with stage times. I always help. And I'm like, I, listen, I know that it's harder for guys. Wow. Girls yeah. are always 
uh, patting each other like hey so hair bullshit it's just i interesting perspective i used okay. to book a show yeah and we had like a women every week that we will have a girl they will she will cancel always like because her period or she doesn't feel well she doesn't want to drive all the way to hermosa beach so it would be like two girls that would never cancel so i feel like guys work harder too hmm. yeah and there's a lot more in in a way riding on our shoulder if we're trying to support a family or in my case you know i want to have kids and i have to provide you know you have to provide for your wife or family yeah well um i'll read you a little bit about him here's a little more on you probably know more than we'll even have here but june 20 he lived from june 29th 1798 till June 14th, 1837. He was an Italian philosopher, a poet, an essayist, and a philologist. He is widely seen as one of the most radical and challenging thinkers of the 19th century. Although he lived in a secluded town in the conservative Papal States, is that right? Papal States? What is this there? Papal Estates, yes. From the Pope? I don't know. It's weird. He came in touch with the main ideas of the Enlightenment and through his own literary evolution created a remarkable and renowned poetic work related to the romantic, romantic. era. I told yeah. you it was romantic. See, I think it's you're secretly you're secretly a romantic. I'm a romantic yeah. <laughs> the strongly lyrical quality of his poetry made him a central figure on the European and international literary and cultural landscape. Yeah, he's he's very well known. Yeah. You're a closet romantic. You're just I'm afraid to embrace it. Yeah, I think I'm too tough. I'm like my mother. You know? like, I think like any time you try to be romantic, your mother's voice comes into your mind, like che checking you for kisses. Yes. <laughs> no yes. kisses. No kisses no anywhere. No kisses. Be tough. <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, I remember I would cry and my mom would be like, my mom, what about my feelings? I remember this. And she would be like, nobody cares about feelings. Life is not about feelings. You yeah. gotta be tough. So I think I grew up like with that. It's definitely an American thing, feelings. Yes, feelings. My mom is like, that doesn't give you money to eat, feelings. That doesn't feed you. Like, I love you because I feed you and I send you to school. That's how you know I love you. But I think feelings are important. I don't think I don't think Americans are wrong for embracing feelings. I think the rest of the world is wrong for not embracing them. I think Americans embrace it too much sometimes. It's good to embrace feelings, but also you have to have some discipline on your feelings. Like, you got to talk about it, and it's good. But sometimes people here exaggerate and let their kids do whatever they want. Just because they have to embrace their feelings, being creative or whatever. Mm -hmm. You need some discipline. Says the person who shut off all her feelings. Yes. That's, <laughs> you know, I just, I already grew up like this, you know? I'm, yeah. I'm 30. Like, how am I, like, I'm too old. Like, all that is inside me, you know? Yeah, but you, you know, once you embrace your feelings, <laughs> you know you how, get I, past how feelings come to me through art, you know, reading poems. Like, I feel like that's my way to embracing feelings. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm going to be like a, a loving mom. Like, I love pets. Like, I always, like, I think if I have a kid, I would be more like loving than my mom for sure. I think you need to be open to love. I don't think you are right now. I think you're very strongly on this like independent woman. I don't need anyone. I don't need. I, I'm. It's so funny because I never thought I would be an independent woman. But everything that comes comes out of my real life is very independent. Yeah. But inside me, I, I always thought like, oh, I need to find a guy that take care of me. 
and I need to find a family. But I think, I think that my attitude says something totally different. Yeah, it's totally different. And that's interesting because that's like when we met in Nashville, that was what struck me. We had a conversation and you're like, I'm only interested in rich guys. And I thought, yes, I always go with wealthy, you know, wealthy, no, but guys that can take Not that I was asking you out, but we were having a conversation. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I yeah. got to be clear because you, you know, are married. I'm married and I, I'm faithful. But I always say guys that have, that are successful in some way because I I was raised by my mother and she always said that I have to have economical security because my mom is like always like, you like nice things in life. Like I like art. I like to go to show and like movie theater. Yeah. If you're with a guy that doesn't have any money, you won't have, the, you like nice restaurants, you won't have that because you will have to work to take care of your kids and everything and you will have that will work so she always told me i need to find someone that can take care of me and i had a can have a good life so yeah a lot of comes a lot of my thoughts come from my mom all the way sure <laughs> sure and they come from her mom and it goes all the way back and from her mom because her mom had a really shitty life so she told her don't do this mistake Mm-hmm. Get a guy that has money and take care of you because my grandma has to take care of all the family. You know, it's, yeah, it's all that. It's all that womanizing grandfather's fault that you're yes, stuck in this situation. Yes. But it, yeah, I remember being shocked when you said because I said, "What if you fell in love with someone and they weren't rich?" You're like, "I would never do that." And I thought it was just such an interesting, different. Because my first thing was like, "Oh, like you're like <laughs> a gold so digger or something." You know, I was like, that was my first impression. But once I started talking to you. It was like more apparent that it was so much more nuanced than that. And yeah, it's more like survival. Survival. I'm, yeah. I'm, I come from a survival culture more than luxury culture. You know, if yeah. I want a guy with money, it's because I want to have a good life, be able to stay at home, take care of my kids, not having to work, be still able to to afford to have a culture, to be able to go out, travel. Yeah. So that comes from a guy that has a good job, unfortunately, because. If I have kids and um, we both have to work, I wouldn't be able to do all that. And my mom said that she knows me and she's always like, you need that. I, I also <laughs> think it comes from the fact that you grew up originally poor and then you saw that, you know, your mom married this rich guy and your life changed and your opportunities changed. And I wonder if like you would have grown up the way your younger sister did, where you were born into that situation to begin with, if that would change your whole attitude. I think if I was born... With, like my sister with a dad and with all those things, it will be different, of course, because yeah. especially having a dad, I think that would have changed a lot of my choices in men too. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think a lot of times women chase after um, a, a guy that reminds them of their dad. Yes, if you had a good dad. But you didn't have a dad, you so you're not chasing dad. after anybody. <laughs> I'm chasing, I go for older men usually, men that I date are 40s, 50s. Oh, because of your mom's second choice. And also because I'm looking for a dad, I think. And inside me, I think I'm looking for a dad because I like guys that take care of me also. I feel, I feel protected. Yeah. So every time that I, like, I, any of them, like, if I broke up with a guy and he's older than me, I remember, I always think about my dad. Always. Did you ever meet your dad? Yes, when I was a kid. Um... Last time I saw him, I think I was seven years old. Is he still alive? Yes. You ever think of reaching out to him? No, because he's a bad person. So sometimes what? in life it's better to just don't reach out to people that are going to disappoint you. Are you sure he's a bad person? Yes, because every, 
person that I know tells me the same things about him. Like, uh, I have an aunt that saw him the other day. He was, just, and he was, he saw him talking racist things about someone. Yeah. And I knew by a fact that he, well, number one, if you abandon, if you leave your kid, you're not a good person. You yeah. know, like, you can, my mom could be whatever to him, but he hit my mom too. So once my mom went to the hospital, that was how hard he hit her. So wow. I don't think he's a good, you know, some people yeah. can, you can't redeem some people. They're just bad people. All right. So I think that's, that. That sounds like a fair assessment. Of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you sent your mom to the hospital from hitting her and left you, yeah, I guess it's fair to say. It's not, fair to not, say. Not I don't need person. to meet that, that person. Do you want to take a crack at reading this paragraph from our philosopher? Which one? Right here. Okay, I'm going to try. Excuse my English. Nothing shows the power of the human intellect more than knowing his own smallness. He feels to be an infinitesimal part of a globe, which is a neg negli negligible, negligible? negligible part of the infinite number of systems that make up the world. He virtually blends into nothing and finds himself lost in the incomprehensive vastness of existence. That's what the poem is. The poem is about. Yeah. He blends in the universe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with this single thought, he gives the greatest proof of the immense capability of his own mind, which, enclosed in such a small being, is, has managed to understand things superior to his own nature. I think I agree, and I think this is what the poem I talked to you was about. He was in this high uh, call and a high, uh, high hell. How do you say? hell, and he blends with the universe, and when he he feels like he's part of the universe. So this is his, what he thinks about when he's writing the poem, I think, that he's part of a big thing. Yeah. So by being a small, blending into him, he's part of everything. So his basic message is just, uh, you know, you're not that big a deal. You're part of the bigger thing. Yes, and I think that's the thing that was, and once he embraced it, he feel like he's infinity infinite he doesn't have end because he's part of the whole big thing uh, that's interesting so like he's um i like that he's saying you're small but you're part of something big and therefore you're big yeah because when he's on top of the hill he talks about like this is so big and i'm just a small thing in this huge piece of earth and once he embraces it he let it go in his part and you can feel that when you read the poem you're like oh i'm part of this infinity so it's, it's good. It's, I, I like, I, I totally agree. Yeah. I think the most personal you are, also the more universal you get. Hmm. Yeah. So he was universal poet because everybody knew him, right? It's like, it's Is that your enough. attitude when you travel around the world? I try to be universal, yeah. But, um, but just traveling about, you're talking about traveling. Well, I know you travel a lot. I see. Yeah, I love, I love other cultures. I love blending. Like when I live in Italy, I love like like I'm mostly Italian inside me. Like I always say to my mom, like I'm Peruvian, but I left my heart in Bologna. Like I always go back, and my dream is one day. And then to get she a says, <laughs> "Yes, yes." My mom is like, "Well, so you have to make money so you can go back live there because right now," and, yeah. she's, and she brings me back to reality. Yeah, 
oh, yeah, well, get a husband that can afford to take you to Bologna every year. So my mom always brings me back to reality. And, but, you, but you're like, no, I'll do it on my own. Yeah, my mom is the real person that can be happy. Yeah. Like, and I'm like more like the dreamer that try to, that don't think about the future. I try not to because I'm, my tendency is to think about it because of my mom, just the way she raised me. But yeah. I try to not. Yeah. It seems like your mom is overprotective because she was all that you had. And you were all that she had. Yes. And she was, she saw, she came from abuse. She also was a recipient of abuse. And mm -hmm. she was like, I've got to make sure if anything, I'm going to protect this girl. Yes. I think all her, all that she wanted was protect me. I, I totally agree with you. And I think she may have overdone it because yes. she. <laughs> she overdo everything. Yeah. Well, we have three quotes you read. Children find everything in nothing. Men find nothing in everything. I agree because children are happy because everything is surprising. Everything is new for them. Yeah. And they are surprised by the world. My friend wrote a great song about it, Seth Glass. He wrote a song called Eyes of a Child about how he wishes he could look at the world through the eyes of a child. Yeah. Because, because the eyes of age are hazy and glazed. But, you know, the, the eyes of a child are full of excitement and wonderment. You know what? It's kind of when an immigrant comes to America the first time. You're like, wow, there is food everywhere. And you can go buffet, whatever you want. All you can eat and it's cheap. And why? There is jobs everywhere. Uh -huh. And you can make, you can get your own apartment if you work eight hours. And you can have a normal life. You can have TV. You know, that's... Yeah, but that's, then you're, you're here for a while and you get jaded and you're like, yeah, there's food everywhere, but yeah. where can I get a fried guinea pig around here? Exactly, yeah. Where can I get something good? <laughs> like Subway everywhere. But at the beginning, when you're new to this world, <laughs> to America, yeah. you're like surprised. Like, you're, I remember I came and I lived before in Europe, but I came and it was like, wow, people, like I'm making, I start working at the restaurant. I'm like, I'm making like $12 an hour plus tips wow and i'm like i can get my own uh, studio apartment here wow like i can get a job if i look for it wow like everything was wow yeah and then you lost that wonderment i lost the wonderment. You became spoiled but that's why they say people here are more depressed than people in south america because uh there's too much and you take it all for granted. All for granted and you're not happy. Instead, when you are constantly thinking about how you're going to survive, you can't get depressed. You don't have time. <laughs> you yeah. know, you don't have time. That's, I have a joke like that. Yeah. You don't have time to get depressed. You know, you're too busy surviving. It's very true. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with this quote. All right. We have uh, two more. What is the second Freedom one? Freedom is a dream. You dream while putting thoughts in chain. Say that again, freedom. Freedom is the dream you dream mm -hmm. while putting thoughts in chain. Like. Yeah, in chains. In chains, yeah. sorry. No, it's okay. Um, uh, freedom is the freedom you dream. So you're saying when you lock up your thoughts. When you're putting your thoughts together, you're free. Right? It's basically that. Or no. When you're organizing your thoughts. You're free. But I think he's saying when your thoughts are, when you lock your thoughts up, freedom is the, is the dream. Like when you're not, 
I think he's saying this goes back to like earlier when he was talking about like this pursuit of happiness that everybody's involved in um, is artificial or it's not going to bring you happiness. What you have to do is just kind of go out there and do it. So when you take all those thoughts and you put them aside, then you have, then you can dream of freedom maybe. Or maybe it's uh, freedom is when it happens while you're dreaming. Maybe because it's the dream you dream. Yeah. Well, that puts it in terms of what you're doing. You're saying you're the dreamer. Yeah, I'm a dreamer. And you're free. Of course. Yeah, you're a dreamer too. Yeah. Trying to make your dreams come true. And you're free while you're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you like to believe you're free. I, well, I I think I'm free, more free and freer. How do you say? More free or freer? Either. I don't know. More free when than other people. For because, sure. Well, you have, you're not tied down to anything. I'm not tied down to anything. So you're a little freer than me. Yes, of course. I'm not married. I'm doing what I want every day. Um, it's very, very selfish, too, because I just think about myself, basically, yeah. every day. That's your narcissism. That's my narcissism. And yeah. I get used to it. I'm so, so used to it that it's hard for me. It's going to be tough for you to like oh, yeah. make a shift to caring about other people. Yes, it's going to be really hard. I, I agree. I love it. I'm like every day. I'm like, oh my god, I love this. And then you see, it's gonna be really see. Fun. But I like. <laughs> I, I I think it would be hard for me. Like I don't want to leave what I have because I I like it better. I think you just become used to your situation, and either you embrace it or you yeah, you make the best sit, of it, or you or you do the opposite, where you you just beat yourself up about it and sit and wallow in some kind of misery about it thinking i i shouldn't be in this situation i shouldn't be in this situation or you're like i love this situation yes and each I one embrace. is dangerous in a way because <laughs> you know you you're either like not enjoying your life and not embracing it or you're just trapping yourself in a yes in a, well i mean i i don't think i'm trapped but i think it's <laughs> yeah you're just <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You just I trap know. yourself in a mentality. Yeah. It's like when people say my kids are the best thing that happened to me. And how do you know? Like, really, I think it's just you You just have to embrace it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's you embracing your situation. That's what I tell my friends. Yeah. You don't know really, like, how is the best? Like, But it's better than people who say my kids are the worst thing that happened to me. Yes. I totally agree. I totally agree. <laughs> All right. We have one more quote to uh Finish off the show. He who has the courage to laugh is master of the world, much like him who is prepared to die. You want me to read it again? Or no, you're mm, thinking. No, I'm thinking. Yeah, because um, if you, you know, like, I think how what you wish people are so funny is because they suffer so much. So I think that, Funny comes from you trying to make the best out of your bad situation, you know? That's so, the courage to laugh. Yes, the courage to laugh at your bad situation. Um, and and people that are prepared to die because they don't have any regrets. Like, I, that's how I feel. I don't know. Much like who is prepared to die, like the courage of somebody who's prepared to die. To die. Is strong in the person who's... Who has the courage to laugh? Because in both situations, the person is like, um, 
embracing yeah. life. I think embracing their life. Yeah. You know, that's how I feel. Like people can laugh. You can laugh pain. about it or cry about it. Going back to the poetry and comedy. Yeah. But um, I don't know if it's courage to laugh. Sometimes I think it's more courage to cry. But well, I think it's courage when you can laugh at your own pain. I mean, like you can make fun of uh, you can make fun of something that hurt you at some point in your life, or you can embrace life, even if you had so much sufferance, with a positive and funny look. You know, like building humor. Humor comes from it. I think people that have good humor has suffered before. Yeah, somewhere. there is a strength in humor because it's like yeah. it's it's saying you know what I don't care. I'm, I'm going to push past it. And it is an emotional disconnect, but I think it's often, like you said, it's an emotional disconnect that gets you through things. So it can be like, look, if I let, if I let, you see, it goes back to the feelings, you know? It's like you, you who are like, I don't know if I should feel so much. You can do comedy. Because if you feel too much, I think like people who feel way too much, it's hard to be a comedian. Do you know? Dorian Franco? No. He had some quotes about humor. And he was, um, I think he was in a concentration camp. Okay. For example, Leopardi is a guy that suffered. I remember he had a disease. I think he lost some part of his body. Do, do you have, like, is there more information? Yeah. He died during... The cholera epidemic of 1837, the immediate cause probably being pulmonary edema or heart failure due to his fragile physical condition. In 1828, physically infirm and worn out by his work, Leopardi refused the offer of a professorship in Bonn or Berlin made by the ambassador of Prussia in Rome. The same year, he had to abandon his work with Stella and return I don't know. I'm seeing. I'm just picking up little pieces here. Well, I think. Well, my point is like, humor comes from. Is what you develop to deal with whatever is bad that happened in your life. And I think Giacomo Leopardi lost a sister, and he wrote poems to her. By the way, Sylvia. It says he has a poem to Sylvia. That is his sister. Well, I believe you. I don't know much about him except for what we just learned. But it says this. His mother was a cold authoritarian. Yes, you see? He's like my mother. <laughs> Woman obsessed with rebuilding the family's financial fortunes. You see this? Wow, this. really a good fit for you. Yeah. Which had been destroyed by her husband's gambling addiction. Yeah, and he had a sister that died, I think. Right? Doesn't say nothing? Um, I'm looking for that. A rigorous discipline of religion and saving reigned in the home. Sounds like your house. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, this was a good pick for you. I don't see anything about her sister here, but I I believe. Wait, here, maybe that's. You see, in Giacomo Leopardi, the third, a dead child. Between the ages of 12 and 19, he studied constantly, driven also by the need to escape spirituality from the rigid environment of the paternal palazzo. Palazzo. His continual studies undermined an already fragile physical condition and his illness, probably 
Pott's disease or ankylosing spondylitis mm-hmm. denied him youth's simplest pleasures. Yeah, he was really fucked. He has diseases and they <laughs> he was he, really fucked up. <laughs> yeah, he had also a, like a, a some type of disfiguration on her his face. Yeah. And Sylvia is is oh, it's a sad poem that he he cries to his lost youth. His last youth, yeah. Yeah, so he yeah, he, he suffered a lot. Like he, he didn't have an easy life. So I so. think humor comes from Dealing with that. So that must be where the quote comes from. He has the courage to laugh as the master of the world. Yeah. Well, keep mastering the world, Liz. I'm going to keep mastering the world. Thank <laughs> you. We're going to try. But that was a great pick. Yeah. Was a, Giacomo Lopardi was a great pick. I'm glad he he picked that for me. Yeah. Well, I, I will say this. I encourage you to embrace the romance within. Okay, we'll try. <laughs> I will and, try, uh, even if I was raised in an authoritarian. He did. Even he was raised with an authoritarian mother. Yeah. So probably I, I can do it too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. You you're on a mission. You're on a journey to. Sh- I'm on a to journey sh- to show even your 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 grandmother and who's in the next world, the next world that it can be done. You're the light. I'm the light. Um, I'm the hope of the family. I hope. <laughs> I hope I'm the hope. Yes, hopefully. I'm the hope. Hopefully. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> okay. Thanks so much for doing the Thank show. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, everybody, thank you for tuning in. That's our show today. Thank you again to Luz Pazos. And again, if you guys are able to make it over to fairenoughcomic.com and pick up the new issue of the comic book, I'd be grateful, and I think you'd enjoy it. Go to fairenoughcomic.com and pick up issue two, The Cart Before the Horse. I'll sign it for you. Okay, that's about it. Leave five stars and a nice comment on the iTunes, and I will see you guys, or... You will hear me next episode. Uh, In the meantime, you can also write me. I always tell you this, and some people do it, and I reply. Write me at thecomical at yahoo.com. I love hearing from you. Okay, that's it for now. Have a wonderful week or two weeks until I talk to you again. So long. Bye-bye. Farewell. Take care. Adios. Ciao. Au revoir. Shalom. Hasta la vista.